Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Heel and Face podcast, brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. It is me, it is me, the big old Stevie C. How you doing? Everybody out there in the internet wrestling community world, everyone who loves wrestling, everyone who talks wrestling, everyone who's all about the wrestling. It's us, it's me, hanging out again with you, as usual, on a beautiful day today. It's December, it is the 13th, we're halfway through the month coming up on Christmas. I hope everything is going well holiday-wise for you guys. I hope you guys are um, able to survive the COVID-19. You're able to safely and as best as you can with your family be able to celebrate holiday seasons, whatever holidays you celebrate. Uh, I know Diwali has already been passed. We're in the midst of Hanukkah right now. Of course, this is the Christmas season. Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, uh, please be sure to appreciate the importance of your loved ones and do it as best as you can for what's healthy for you and your family. Got a lot of good stuff today on the show. I actually am going to review three different wrestling shows that I watched this week. And we're going to talk about something that I think is very, 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 very long overdue. Ironically enough, the thing that this promoter did years ago to his own father, I think should be done by his own children. And that's what they call in the business a tease. Before we get to that, though, just wanted to let you know that we do the thing, and we do it, and I love doing it, and I love watching the audience grow. I've been noticing a lot more posts, not just during the show or on Sundays when I do the show, but I've been noticing throughout the week people have been responding to a lot of the kind of posts or memes that I forward or create or some of the things that I do throughout the week as well, and that's really cool. I dig that because I just don't want to be like a one-day you know, dude. I want to be able to communicate with you guys and talk wrestling all week if I can, if I have the time to. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to sit here and take all of the credit for all the wonderfulness that comes your way as a professional wrestling fan who likes to talk professional wrestling on the interwebs. Of course, you can like, share, comment, and subscribe as you have been doing, and please continue to do so. By the way, just as an aside, if you're not able to catch it live, I always put the audio version up streaming on all of the different streaming services available to you. So either way, you can catch me on the Flippy Flop. But please tell people about the podcast, the Heel and Face podcast on Heel Turn Wrestling. And speaking of them, a great way to get all of your wrestling needs, all of what you want, is to go to the Heel Turn Wrestling Facebook page at HT Wrestling 316. HT Wrestling 316. Got a lot of fun stuff up there. It's not just the dank memes, even though the dank meme department is the best in the biz. Often imitated, never duplicated. We got a lot of cool podcasts this morning. The Wrestling Trivia Show, 2020 Wrestling Trivia Show. We have The War Room on Thursdays at 8. We have Billy Alexander shows on Wednesdays. We have The Sleeper Hold. We have uh, Piers Austin's amazing interviews. I don't know where he finds these. He is that well-connected in the wrestling world that he gets all the great interviews. And last but not least... Headlocks and Hangover, so we got a ton of great shows to watch and talk wrestling. So join us, man. I mean, why not? Do the same thing. Like, share, and tell your friends about Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316, HT Wrestling 316, HT Wrestling 316. And of course, you can always see what I'm up to on my Twitter handle as well, at Heel and Face Pod on Twitter. So that's the social media that you need to know in order to be in the know, bro, bro. No, sorry, I don't have any bro nuts to share with anybody. Um, by the way, as an aside, if uh, Matt Riddle or Riddle is offering me any kind of baked goods, uh, I don't know if I'm offering. I don't know if I'm uh, taking a bite. I don't know. I think Jeff Hardy was wise not to partake 
in the bro nuts. Um, well, let's get right to it. I know that it seems like we're doing this every week, and I'm not going to spend too much time because this man became more well-known as an actor uh, than a professional wrestler, but I think this is pretty significant because whether you were Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, Pat Patterson themselves, or you are uh, uh, a bit player, a minor cog in the machine that was the WWE during the 80s, you still had your role to play. You still made uh, the stars look great, and we should put some respect on his name. So, unfortunately, Tom Tiny Lister passed away. I believe he's the age of 62. As you see on the uh, there on the left-hand side, that Tiny Lister famously played Zeus in the No Holds Barred movie, and Vince McMahon immediately parlayed that into a program. I think it was a two- or three-month program with Zeus. I believe Vince McMahon was trying to make Zeus the monster heel of the future. I don't know why it exactly didn't work out. Um, if you know out there, you're definitely welcome to comment below. But Tiny Lister passed away. He also grew to fame by playing the arch-nemesis of uh, Day-Day and Craig in the movie Friday. Debo was the man, matter of fact, Deboing someone became a phrase in the late 90s, early aughts. Like if you took somebody's chain or if you took somebody's lunch, you basically Deboed him. Uh, he had a lot of famous roles. He was kind of typecast as the big, hulking, brooding bad guy. Personally, one of my favorite lines that he said wasn't in No Holds Barred or in uh, Friday or any of the Friday's movies, but it was the Batman uh, Dark Knight movie where the Joker set up both fairies, one with the convicts and one with the innocent people, and gave people the remote to blow themselves up, basically. And one of my favorite lines was, you don't have a problem taking a life, but you can't give a life, or something like that. And it was just really profound. It was just a quick hitter from uh, Debo, Tiny, Zeus, whatever you want to call him. I had a pretty successful career in Hollywood, uh, not just being typecast later on. He played softer roles, just little minor roles, but you could always know it was him. And um, he also just kept acting with the, not just acting, I'm sorry. He kept working with his community, trying to make the community better. So props to him for doing what he can to improve things on the earth. Unfortunately, he succumbed, or at least he was battling COVID at the time. I don't want to be one of those people that speculates and says that COVID was the actual cause of his death, but I do want to say what was COVID-related. And since he is, was elderly, 62 after all, uh, he probably could have lived another 10, 15 years uh, if he wanted to. But um, unfortunately, this disease is affecting us all. So God bless. Don't know why, again, his pro wrestling career, per se, didn't take off the way Vince and everyone else wanted it to. But uh, still, uh, Tiny Lister passes away at the age of 62. So the other topic that I'm just going to take a while because I'm going to have a mini rant before I get into reviewing the three shows that I was able to catch. I think that 2020 has shaken us all to our core and the things that we used to think Aren't, same, aren't the same anymore. It just isn't the same anymore. And we can try to get it back to the way it was, but it never will be. It's Pandora's box. Uh, the box is opened and all the evils are out in the world. And I don't think things are going to be the same. And I know they said that 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. And I know they said that years ago with other pandemics. But really, I think this one is kind of an existential crisis that the world is going through right now. And 2020 can't get over fast enough. I think 
the way things were had definitely have to adapt and definitely have to change. Why am I saying all that? Why am I boring you with that diatribe? Because even the world of professional wrestling, especially the major promotion of the entire world, we're not just talking about of the United States or whatever, we're talking the entire world. The WWE is really at a crossroads right now. They are at a point where things are going in a lot of ways so poorly and that management is so blind to it that they might cause themselves in a Faustian way to implode. Oh, wait a minute though, Steve, you are really being extreme about this. Aren't you uh, being a little over the top in your analysis of this? Um, take a look at this. This was something that came through the news and tell me if I'm wrong. So apparently, um, there are multiple reports that stated that multiple pro wrestlers, guys that have been called up to the main roster, are being sent down to the formerly Performance Center, now the Capital Wrestling Center, for quote-unquote seasoning. This list includes, I don't even know if this is a short list or a complete list, but this list includes, hold on to your hats, Keith Lee, Dio Madden, Otis, Omos, who is AJ Styles' bodyguard, and the fifth one, his name escapes me right now, but they're all big. Oh, Dabo Kato, that's right. Dabo Kato. All five of those men were specifically targeted to go back to the CWC for quote-unquote more seasoning. And I honestly don't know how much more quote-unquote seasoning these guys need. Um, they've already practically destroyed Dio Madden's career by putting him in retribution as Mace. They've already destroyed Otis's push as heavy machinery with um, with Tucky, with Tucker. And they're now teaming him up with Gable because, of course, Vince McMahon is basically created the WWE just to amuse himself. If the news that I'm reporting now is in fact accurate, that other multiple sources, by the way, have been reporting that is accurate, and they are going back to be quote-unquote trained, retrained. Otis has been teaming with Gable because Gable has been quote-unquote training Otis how to wrestle. The biggest shocker, though, is Keith Lee. And the uh, t wrestling Twitter really came down hard on Vince McMahon about this at WWE, about telling, I think somebody said something effective, telling Keith Lee he can't wrestle is like telling Beethoven you can't write music. I mean, I get the two big men, Omos and Dabo Kato. I know those two guys haven't exactly caught the world on fire. I don't know what you expect Omos to do. He just stands there. He doesn't really do anything. He's a bodyguard. I mean, the only reason why bodyguards in the past have worked because they've all been trained pro wrestlers like Diesel, for example. You know, Diesel did stuff because he knew that he, that he, that he had to do stuff. If you tell a guy whose dream is to be a WWE superstar to just stand there and he stands there, whose fault is that? Which brings me to my point. Every wrestler with the exception of Keith Lee has been trained by WWE. So really, whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that these guys need more seasoning or these guys don't know what they're doing or these guys look like at the surface level they need more work? Is that... The WWE's fault? Okay, so let me, again, make an analogy. Hopefully this will um, cover it. 
And yes, I've said in the past that professional wrestling is the last real apprenticeship or one of the few apprenticeships that you can do as far as a vocation, as far as a job goes. Like blacksmithing is pretty much an apprenticeship. Uh, you can go take classes on how to become a blacksmith, but pretty much uh, related to blacksmith farrier, someone who works specifically on shoeing horses and caring for the feet of horses. Like that's, that's an apprenticeship. That's something that you have to work and study under someone to know how to do well. Well, professional wrestling uh, is still one of the few true apprenticeships out there anymore that you actually learn and study underneath someone to learn how to do really well. And yeah, we've cleaned it up and there's a lot of wrestling schools. There's a lot of great wrestling schools and some bad wrestling schools. And the WWE has done a nice job in theory of creating the Capital Wrestling Center. But what happens when you have someone who's forging silverware in your blacksmith shop, handcrafted silverware, and the spoons are flat. They don't have a nice curve. They don't have a bend to them. They're just flat. Whose fault is that? Now, yes, the student may actually be terrible at making spoons, may be terrible at making silverware, may be terrible at being a blacksmith. And at that point, it's the instructor, it's the blacksmith's job to tell this person that they are terrible at this and they shouldn't do this anymore. The market weeds itself out and not everybody who has the dream of doing something is really good at it and can do it. If your apprentice farrier continues to crack the toenails of the horses that they put shoes on, whose fault ultimately is that? Is that the student who's learning how to shoe a horse or is it the expert who's been shoeing horses for 30 years and teaching someone along? What about, say, my profession, teaching? It'd be one thing if I went into school and I got my teaching degree and then all of a sudden I was completely horrid and um, did nothing and just got into it because I thought it was a sinecure job where I could get benefits and just sat and passed out crossword puzzles while the kids, you know, just kind of did whatever they wanted. Like, that would be my fault. But at some point, if I was generally that terrible at teaching, someone in the university, one of the professors, one of the cooperating teachers, someone along the way between my freshman year and my senior year in college should have come up to me and said, hey, you know what? Teaching might not be for you. You should try something else. So if you're teaching someone how to do something, you have a moral obligation to make sure that they do it right. For the five wrestlers that were mentioned, let's go over them again. Dabocado, Mercado, Omos, Otis, Dio Madden, all four of those guys did not have prior professional wrestling experience. Otis grew up as a fan. Dabo Kato was a lineman in uh, at Wisconsin or something like that. Omos played basketball, was a fan, and Dio Madden played football. I don't remember if he was specifically a fan of WWE, but he was aware of its existence. If your university churned out incompetent teachers, engineers, etc., their license would be pulled. If a blacksmith produced blacksmiths who couldn't make proper silverware or swords or whatever else blacksmiths do nowadays, that blacksmith should retire and not teach anymore. So why are we blaming people who've never wrestled before who literally went to school to the WWE to learn how to wrestle, then have them called up to the main roster in order to be sent back down for, quote unquote, more seasoning. And let's not even, we're even at the surface of how, how morally offended I would be if I was Keith Lee right now. 
if I was Keith Lee right now, and, and I, I don't know, maybe I don't want to jeopardize, you know, uh, my girlfriend, fiance, whatever they are, uh, Mia Yim's chances, because there's a lot of pettiness and sniping anyway in the WWE. Maybe, maybe I'm Keith Lee, and maybe I read the tea leaves, and maybe I know that this is probably the best that I'll ever have, and the most exposure I'll ever have as a pro wrestler, and maybe I, I just kind of eat a lot of crap for a while. Um, I don't know. Um, but this is so offensive to Keith Lee, I think. This is so morally offensive. Uh, if if Keith Lee, quote-unquote, comes back to the main roster and isn't doing any more cross-body blocks, if he's not doing any more um, moonsaults and uh, gorilla splashes from the top rope, he should just walk out and he should challenge uh, the WWE's ridiculous um, rule about independent contractors. Because how much more insulting can you get for a man? He's already been practically told no twice, and the people that believe in him have been going to bat for him for so long. He is an amazing wrestler. He is an amazing big dude. I would argue that even though, yes, I could see it sometimes he could be a little sloppy, that I would ask Vince, you try moving as well he does and putting matches together uh, for a uh, six foot seven, 350 pound dude. You'd fly through the air and you do all the cool stuff. You know, and it's not like he's a flippy dude. It's not like, oh no, I'm uh, I'm a luchador caught in a super heavyweight's body. No, that's not Keith Lee. Keith Lee knows how to wrestle. He's been doing it in the best companies up until WWE before he got signed. He even, I mean, how do you think he gets his name recognized? How do you think he gets the word out there about himself? He doesn't do it just by asking politely to be part of the WWE. He made the buzz. He created the buzz in PWG. He created the buzz in Ring of Honor. He created the buzz in all of these companies that he was working with, AIW. Um, that for, for a while, some are arguing that promotion was a default uh, pipeline to WWE. So he was doing it in places already. To, at this point, say Keith Lee can't wrestle is an insult. And it is something that, uh, honestly, someone who is mentally incompetent would suggest. So I'm going to go here. I'm going to bring it back to my original opening comment about 2020 and how things are changing and how attitudes are changing and how, how people view uh, what the future might look like is changing. I think it's time to stop the madness. You know, a young upstart, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, took everything he had and went to his father when he knew his father's health was failing and offered to buy the company out from him, the Capital Wrestling Company, because he saw the potential of what wrestling could become. And very begrudgingly, his father did sell it to him before his death. I'm sure his father knew that he was close to death anyway. And this young punk, even though he's got ties from in the Northeast, even though his dad was a big deal in the Northeast, some young punk raised in South Carolina in a trailer would eventually change the landscape of professional wrestling going forward and have such a profound impact on the world of professional wrestling that it won't be changed. It won't be changed, at least for another 100 years or so. We uh, will be talking about Vince McMahon in a lot of the ways that we, we talk about such people as like Walt Disney or Thomas Edison, even though Edison stole a lot of his stuff. But that's a totally different topic. We'll be talking about Vince McMahon and his impact in culture and in wrestling and everything else when it's his time uh, to go and be remembered. And I'm not wishing that on him. But I am saying this. The McMahon family clearly has to do the same thing to him that he did to his father for the WWE to make that final leap, that second leap, I should say, into modernity, into the future 
into being able to be a viable commodity for the professional wrestling business. Vince McMahon has clearly shown that he is too old, too incompetent, and too out of touch to deliver a modern wrestling product. And I'm not just saying that it has to look like AEW. I'm saying the WWE has become a monolith that is unadaptable and is oppressive and it does not meet the modern standard of, let's just keep it real, work. We're not just talking about professional wrestling. We're talking about how to treat employees and work and self-determination. This has gone way beyond WWE's getting left behind, which they are. They are getting left behind. And I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon does not feel that way, of course. He's still stuck in It's His Way or the Highway, but he has become a shell of his former self, and he needs to realize that he's got to move on. I mean, he may even be willing himself to be alive. Who knows? But he's got to go. And the sooner Stephanie and Triple H take over the WWE, the better. I don't know, again, how the corporate structure works. I guess... Vince McMahon can be bought out. I don't know if he can be bought out. I don't think he can be bought out. I think that's part of the deal where it was the public option, but Vince could always become or remain the CEO and president of WWE. So I don't know um, if how, what it would take to vote him out. I know he does have to answer to a board because he's publicly traded, but who's to say? You know, I'd like to. I'd like to think that at some point, even Stephanie and, and, and Triple H and Shane would have to say enough is enough and. You gotta go, Dad. It's 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 not helping. It's not helping. I could see in ten years. I can see the WWE not only continuing to lose profits and continuing to slide uh, into mediocrity, not necessarily because of AEW or any other thing, but the fact is that people would just be so unenamored and disenfranchised with the product that the WWE is putting out that they can legitimately go to different places. And you can, and I do, and I have been, and I will show you some of them later on uh, in the podcast, but. It's time. It's time for Vince McMahon to pack it up. You know, enjoy retirement. Enjoy yourself. You can finally relax. I know you're 76. You can finally relax. Enjoy the last four years or so, five years or so. Again, I'm not wishing death on him. I'm just saying the law of averages dictates that Vince McMahon has lived way longer than his life expectancy. He's outlived his father by, what, 10, 15 years? So, congratulations. Your wife had a cushy job with the Trump administration. I hope you saved up enough money. You've got houses in Florida and in... And in Connecticut, I mean, you have your own property. You have a uh, you own business property. You you've you've got uh, you know um, trademarks and copyrights out the wazoo. You know what you done. You're doing. You've built your empire. Okay, what I'm not. I don't have the right to at some point say what more can you do. But I do have the right to criticize the manner in which you're doing it, especially if you've gone into a Faustian mode of I can run this thing. I know what I'm doing. I think that's what it is. I think he's made a deal with the devil that he knows what he's doing. He's stuck and he's going to run it his way or it's his way or the highway. And he's going to find out that more people are going to choose the highway than his way. I mean, think about it. Impact of all places made a huge splash in the world of professional wrestling. Impact. Like, it's basically Ring of Honor, MLW, uh, Bingo Halls, Impact. And yet here we are, Impact making a big splash. So people know what they're going to go and watch and consume. And the less people that consume WWE, it's going to really start making a huge, pardon the pun, impact on Vince McMahon and his product. I don't want to see the WWE fail, but I also like competition and I also like 
when there's diversity of the product, you can see whatever you want. And more people, more wrestling fans are deciding that they have a lot more diversity and a lot more interesting things to watch than WWE. If the WWE is going to continue to produce the absolute garbage, if the WWE is going to continue to let people like Sting go, even though they have great uh, ideas that fit into what they're doing. I don't know if I talked about it last week. But Sting has apparently said that he pitched a cinematic match between him and The Undertaker, and Vince wouldn't go for it. And now sending these men back down to the Performance Center to get quote-unquote retrained and seasoned, when four of the five of them is your fault, and one of them already knew how to wrestle before he got to the company. And you're basically burying the biggest two stars, Otis and Keith Lee are probably the two of the biggest stars out of that group, and you're burying them, you're slowing their momentum, you're killing them because for some reason you don't like them, because they were darlings in NXT, beloved in NXT, and that's Triple H's thing, and you gotta hate it just because you have to hate it. Look, th this is clearly proof that Vince McMahon is out of touch. It's clearly proof that Vince McMahon no longer has a grasp on reality or what's good in the professional wrestling business, and he needs to be stopped, and I don't know how that's going to happen, but it's gotta happen for the WWE to not only be viable, but be able to progress forward into the next era of what professional wrestling is. Having said all that, let's get right into the things that I actually watched this week. And we'll start off with it then. So we'll talk about the pay-per-view. We'll talk about the results of War Games and what I thought about it. Uh, you know, War Games was okay. It didn't really um, grab me uh, a lot of it. I wasn't really... Get that into it. I don't know if it's because I was distracted. I don't know if I was really looking forward to it, honestly, throughout the whole week. And uh, for some reason or another, just I don't know. I wish I could. I wish I could pinpoint the reason why. Especially since I was really looking forward to the first match, which was the uh, women's war games match. And let's let's keep it real. Probably the best division in all of professional wrestling right now. Despite what I just said about the WWE and Vince McMahon's chokehold on his own company is the women's division of NXT specifically and in general in the WWE is probably the best consistent thing going on. And I love Shotzi Blackheart and the whole match was was pretty good. I was a little afraid. There were some points where I was um, a little worried about the spots. There were some parts of the match where I'm like, oh, and I'm not a wrestling prude, but even when I go from holy crap to, oh, Jesus, they shouldn't do that, then you know that we're a little, trying a little too hard, but all the women in the ring are professionals, and they know what they're doing, so I have 100% confidence, and let me tell you how awesome, I also like uh, Raquel Gonzalez even more every day, um, fast forward spoiler, if you haven't watched it already, she's the one who got the pin for Team Candice, and there was a nice little stare down, I think. Um, I need more of Raquel versus Rhea Ripley in my life. I know that. Um, this is a feud that should be a classic feud that you don't need a belt for. You know, you got to have every once in a while feuds that don't need belts. And Raquel Gonzalez versus Rhea Ripley one-on-one. -on -one, I don't want to see him gimmick it up right away, but I would like to see something, you know, on the Saturday before WrestleMania or maybe even the WrestleMania pre-show. Uh, these two just going at it. Hammer and nail. Hilarious. It would be such fun. Um, you know, Vince is the one who praises the hoss fighting and those two need to definitely fight a little more. Um, the action was great. I wasn't too much of a fan of the simultaneous double tower of power. Um, it was okay. It didn't tell me a whole lot in the match. 
Um, everybody got to fight their rival. Uh, Io Shirai coming off the top rope wearing a trash can and then she gets on Twitter later after the show with a picture of herself and it says and she says I am trash is pretty hilarious um, uh, Shotzi Blackheart threw a toolbox into the ring it came swinging a hammer awesome okay I'm all for that uh, Tony Storm brought in a kendo stick and she used it pretty well they went after it they went after it um, the matches I'm sorry, not the matches. The the angles didn't get away of the match. You saw a little bit of this. You know, we saw Indy Harwell's involvement when it came time. Uh, everybody's beef, everybody's rivalry with each other did not get into the way of the War Games match, which I think that's part of the glory of putting this together. You know, when Dusty first put the War Games together, like he knew that you paid to see uh, him go against Flair and you pay, it paid to see... Uh, the Legion of Doom pair off against Arn and Tully, uh, but you also did pay to see them interact with each other as well. So they got enough time in to further each other's storylines, um, possibly even create some more. As I said, Rhea Ripley and Raquel Gonzalez had a uh, hockey fight spot that was really cool. Um, so there was a lot of moving parts. Uh, Ember Moon um, uh, put the Eclipse on Dakota Kai on a chair, and I swear to God, it looked like it just completely caved her throat in. Uh, everything was well done. I enjoyed the match thoroughly as I thought I would. Uh, it was, it wasn't the greatest match of the night. It wasn't the best war games match I ever saw, but it definitely is up there. And again, consistent effort from the women wrestlers in WWE. Uh, next match that I was thought I was looking forward to, and it ended up, I really, I mean, uh, it was okay. Uh, it was Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher. I don't know what they're doing with Timothy Thatcher. He hasn't really had any significant wins, but he's still the uh, the whole Thatcher Snatch Can Wrestling Academy that he's having. Um, I guess Ch Ciampa's going to be a tweener. He's not a bad guy. He's not a good guy. He's just going to come in and do what he does. Uh, the style was intriguing. You know, hard-hitting American Strong style versus uh, submission-based wrestling. So the, the match looked intriguing. Um it was about what I expected it to be. Again, I just don't know what they're doing with Thatcher. Um, I guess they would never have put him over Champa. You're never going to let him beat Champa. But, I mean, was this War Games pay-per-view worthy? Or was this maybe main event worthy of NXT? So, um, there was a nice spot. I'm still trying to figure out how they did it, where uh, Timothy Thatcher got his ear opened up after a couple of uh, kicks and knees from Tommaso Champa. I've watched it a couple times. I tried to figure it out. It's just either old school wrestling magic, or maybe I'm watching something I'm not. Uh, either way, old school wrestling magic for the win, and Ciampa uh, defeats Thatcher. So I don't know if they're going to continue to let Thatcher be the bully. The whole reason why Ciampa challenged him in the first place is because he didn't like people who uh, talked garbage and then didn't you know really do anything about it and uh, picked on lesser opponents. So basically, Ciampa is fighting a bully, even though Ciampa's been a bully before. But who knows? Um, Ciampa gets the victory. It was hard hitting. It was everything was well laid out. Everything was great. The match was was good, but I just for some reason I don't know. Uh, it, it could have been a uh, NXT main event match for me. Um, a match that was creative, but I guess I don't really care about the rivalry itself. Is Loomis and Grimes, and we all know Grimes' place. Cameron Grimes' place in NXT is to be the comedy wrestler. They're not really amount to anything. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be challenging for belts. He's just going to be a guy who's there to do the funny, goofy kind of comedy wrestling stuff. He's uh, unfortunately like, I don't want to say this is disparaging necessarily. I know it's going to sound that way, but uh, as uh, like Dwayne Core, choose any 
gimmick guy from the 90s, mid-level gimmick guy, and that's who Cameron Grimes is, uh, defeating Dexter Lumis, who's very good. Um, now, yes, you can't choke anybody. You can't put it around anybody's neck and strangle anybody, but uh, they did a lot of good spots with, you know, covering Dexter Lumis' eyes, covering his mouth, and depriving his other senses. Uh, at some point, there was even, like, a, a hood brought out, and I remember Vic, uh, Vic Joseph saying something effective, this isn't a blindfold match, this is a strap match, or something. Um I do like the continuation of the storyline, how Grimes has uh, got Loomis in his head. It fits with Loomis' character as the weird sociopathic stalker. And even though he's been babyface for right now, once that heel turn happens, once Dexter Loomis aligns himself, say, with Karrion Cross or someone like that, uh, he's going to be uh, through the roof. Um, a really creative match on what they did with the straps. They didn't just have like a typical strap match where I'm just going to beat you with it and you're going to beat me with it. I mean, case in point, with the end of Cameron Grimes getting wrapped up, in the uh, strap and trying to get away and then hitting his head on the chair to knock himself out. So Loomis could put him in the silence. So a lot of creativity in the match. I just wasn't interested in the story. Again, a match that probably could have been on uh, an NXT regular show on Wednesdays, but you know, entertaining, just not, I don't know if it was pay-per-view worthy. We had the North American championship. That was contested. This one was, um, again, okay. I mean, Leon Ruff is really exciting, and I'm really happy to see that he got that uh, new guy push, the new car smell push. He's going to be around for a long time. I don't know what they're going to do with him. You know, Hopefully, they'll keep him in NXT for a while. Um, unfortunately, sometimes when guys were undersized after a while, after uh, the shiny new toy is out of the box, it gets put into 205 Live or main event somewhere out of sight, out of mind. But hopefully, Leon uh, will stick around for a while. Uh, I do like the storylines, and again, I have to push that the angles and the storylines during War Games were more entertaining than the actual action in the ring. If you want to talk about, for example, um, uh, Damian Priest, who throughout the match, he was saying, stay out of this to Leon Ruff, stay out of my way, don't get hurt, and Leon was taking offense to that, so I thought that was awesome. And I, I thought that was awesome that Priest played it off for as long as he could, you know, kind of like the, the, the little puppy snapping at the big dog's ears until the big dog finally bites back or barks back. Um, you know, it was a typical Johnny Gargano match. He does his thing, and I like Johnny Gargano, uh, but, you know, kind of seen it. Uh, triple threats, again, are uh, WWE's fallback on they don't have any real idea of what they want to do, so they just put three guys together. This one actually kind of worked because it wasn't just putting guys together. It was Leon Ruff is the champ, so he's got to prove that he's the underdog. He's a fighting champ. But really, this was just Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano. Um, when uh, Priest put Ruff through the plexiglass stanchion that was pretty brutal um and and the fact that he said i'm sorry he apologized why is a guy who is an epicurean why is a guy who lives life to his fullest why is a guy who is uh very uh libertine in his lifestyle apologizing for putting a guy through plate or plexiglass knowing that he wants to win the championship so um i think that's a little interesting story uh development that kind of overshadowed the action in the ring, but in a good way. And Leon Ruff was able to do stuff like he did the step up on top of uh, Priest and Gargano with a move in the ring. So I think the the stories were um, taking precedence over the actual match, but it was a good thing. It ended up being a good thing. Even the ending of this match, which I kind of rolled my eyes, the mysterious ghost face that continued to help Johnny Gargano uh, win matches. The ghost face ended up 
being the main ended up being Austin Creed who helped Johnny Gargano win back the North American Championship. So uh, not gonna say much about the action. Just the storyline was was really good. So uh, we get to the main event of the evening. The Undisputed Era took on uh, for the brand. I guess they're calling themselves Pat McAfee, Pete Dunne, and uh, Lorcan and Birch in a War Games match. I did enjoy the action of this match, and this match was really well done. It was a lot better than I expected it to be. Of course, you let the guys do what they're supposed to do, and they do a great job of it. Um, first off, we're starting off with uh, Pete Dunne and Kyle O'Reilly, and that in itself is worth the price of admission. So um, the way that they were you know, doing the submission game, I love that. It's a great way to stall for time, <laughs> uh, but also like legitimately be like – make it look like it's a real fight. So uh, kudos for them. Um, Kyle O'Reilly surviving Pete Dunn's, uh, you know, joint manipulation, hand and finger manipulation. Like Kyle O'Reilly uh, pivoting and countering into uh, submission locks and moves. Just, just such good stuff. Um, the match went along pretty well. I thought it was hilarious that uh, Pat McAfee pulled out boards with all the, uh, not boards, but uh, tables with all the Undisputed Era's names on. Pretty funny stuff. Um, look, We've already talked about Pat McAfee and how he is pretty much the only one that gets this pro wrestling thing. I think it's pretty hilarious. Uh, they saved him for a lot of stuff, which was really good, but he was also to, able to get into it uh, when he could. And when he got into it, when he was supposed to be there and making all of uh, the moves that he had to make, and when he came in for his spots, he did a nice job. I am a little worried about his senton from the top. If he's going to continue doing sentons, he's got to rotate a little bit more. Uh, he was very close to landing on his head. Luckily, all eight or seven other men there were professionals. They knew what they were doing. Um, and uh, Pat McAfee landed safely. Look, I know you all went crazy. And you all went nuts about Pat McAfee should not be kicking out of the, uh, the Panama Sunrise. I'm not mad that Pat McAfee kicked out of the Panama Sunrise. I'm mad that they then continued the match for another 10 minutes for no reason. I think at that point, once the the main babyface gets his comeuppance finisher on the main heel, I think that's over. I think once that happens, the match should be done. I think it went about 5-10 minutes a little too long. I get you want to establish the Undisputed Era as the top team at NXT. By the way, they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. I know some people try to read into the rumor that, oh, they were wearing all red. They've got to be headed to Raw right now. No. Remember when uh, Adam Cole wore green and everybody thought that was some kind of symbol that he was moving on to SmackDown? I would I would love to see the Undisputed Era continue to troll. Like next, next pay-per-view, they should come out wearing gold. So that people will say, oh, the Undisputed Era are going to NXT. Wait a minute, what? I think that would be pretty hilarious. Um, the I will say, even though the match did go on an extra 10 minutes, the, the ten, last 10 minutes, I mean, it was okay. That that that, uh, that chain spot where uh, O'Reilly hits his move, the Fish hits his move, then Roderick hits his move, then Kyle O'Reilly super kicks him. That was kind of funny. Um, they could have done that a little earlier in the match. They just wanted to know that all three of those guys were out before they could brutalize Pat McAfee and uh, basically let everybody get their shots in on Pat. 
I think that was funny. Uh, Pat McAfee's reactions are classic heel. If you can see, uh, if you go back and see some of the pictures, or if you go back and see some of um, uh, the, the the expressions that he has while Pete Dunne's getting hit with a chair and all that, just priceless. Um, so kudos. Again, not for me the best war games. Uh, certainly a lot less violent as far as hardware and pulling up the ring and doing whatever as past war games have been. Um, but enjoyable. I think for all WWE's faults and all WWE's recent missteps to give us a classic match that was old school heels versus new versus old school baby faces together, uh, beating each other up. I think it was really satisfying. So overall the pay-per-view uh, war games was not, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the top one of the best one I've ever seen, but it certainly had some good points. And again, Storyline driven. Everybody complains that WWE is too much story. It's too much acting. It's too much cinematic. It's not enough actual wrestling. Well, this pay-per-view, even though it was war games, even though it was violent, even though there was a lot of wrestling involved, I think the actual storylines uh, did a lot of this pay-per-view justice. And um, it was all right. It was all right. So let's take a break from uh, WWE. Let's shift to another... Um, promotion that I saw this weekend was MLW. So I know you're getting some voices in the back uh, that are saying, this is wrestling. This is wrestling done right. This is how you're supposed to do wrestling. And I can see that. Um, there's a lot that MLW is doing the right way. And I think that's the um, exciting uh, news about it. So um, let's talk about the opening match. Um, for MLW. So we start off with um, another video from uh, uh, Samael. And basically he said, you know, Contra, we're not done. Um, oh, we're, we're biding our time. And uh, you see the destruction that we already caused. And tonight... We are going to continue the destruction by um, uh, beating uh, the Von Eriks for the MLW uh, Tag Team Championship. But by the way, the, the Von Eriks have had uh, the tag belts for, what, a year, year and a half now? Um, so uh, we get the first match was... Um, Shoot, my brain. Yeah, so I thought um, it was Zenshi versus Calvin My uh, brain is melting, but I knew that was the first match. So we got Zenshi versus Calvin Tankman. And this was an interesting uh, match because I don't know a lot of people have seen uh, Zenshi or know who he is. And interestingly enough, I've seen him because I've been scouring the internet for other wrestling to watch. And I've been watching, I know, bear with me here. And I think this is one of the companies that is has some kind of working deal with MLW, which should be really exciting. But Zenshi has wrestled in uh, Middle Kingdom Wrestling, which is the fastest growing Chinese wrestling promotion like in, in China and in, in Asia. It's, it's growing by leaps and bounds. I'll uh, talk a little bit more about it when I continue watching some of the episodes. But let me tell you, like, for what it's worth, uh, Middle Kingdom Wrestling is pretty good. I'll save that uh, to 
uh, let you know about uh, Zenshi versus Kamatanga. So Zenshi is from Chile, and he's luchador-influenced. And by the way, speaking of hotspots for professional wrestling, another hotspot for professional wrestling internationally is Chile. Yes, you heard that right. One of the biggest promotions, the biggest uh, pro wrestling uh, hotbeds in South America right now is Chile. Uh, they got it together, and uh, they're producing a lot more talent than you would think. There was a Chilean wrestler who was in the Cruiserweight Classic, I believe, uh, a couple years ago. So they know what they're doing. It's a real deal down there. And it was uh, this Chilean wrestler, Zen Shi, who's a cruiserweight, taking on Calvin Tankman. Um, I was uh, surprised at the amount of offense that uh, Zen Shi kind of got in on Calvin Tankman. But again, Tankman continues to be the real deal, um, especially with the Tankman driver and the fact that he's so good at talking. Um, I know why a lot of people like him, and I'm starting to grow on me too, man. Just the way he moves and what he does in the ring, and and, and and you know he'll never be in the WWE because of his look, and if he does, it'll be some goof jobber kind of deal. Um, so uh, Calvin Tank would never go to the WWE, but he is a monster, and he could get up there and he could do the uh, drop kicks and he could do the leg lariats, he could do all those things. Um, he might be a lucha wrestler trapped in a ginormous man's body but the way he moves around the ring and how he does what he does is uh completely amazing and of course he got the win over poor zenshi so zenshi got some experience he got some exposure internationally uh good for him and uh, hopefully he will stick around uh, i can see zenshi taking on like tjp i can see zenshi taking on a lot of other guys at mlw that are more within his weight class so to speak the middle heavyweight match uh division uh probably be more zenshi's flavor but you know what he still got some offense in he still got some time in with Calvin Tankman and uh, was not to be, though. Tankman is the winner. Uh, he also had a pretty good promo about uh, heavyweight hustle, never gives up. Uh, you should check it out on their uh, site, which I cited right there underneath. If you want to copy that down and watch it on your own, uh, you can. The next match was uh, the debut of Violence is Forever. So Kevin Koo is now in the fold of Team Lawler, and Kevin Koo and... Uh, Dominic Orini have formed a tag team that they say that they are going to be challenging the Von Erichs for the belts for. And they brutalized two guys that have been brutalized the last couple of weeks in Jason Dugan and Robert Martyr. Again, Robert Martyr living up to his surname. There wasn't a lot here because Violence is Forever was pretty dominant throughout. Um, again, two guys that don't look like that they're pro wrestlers, but they're brutal. And uh, hopefully they will never go to PWE because they're just uh, too good. Um uh, like their uh, Brain Buster super kick combo, and uh, they really didn't look like they had to work that hard against these two guys. So it was kind of a squash, but you know we know that uh, Dominic Barini, and by the way, shout out to uh, Dominic being from Canton, Ohio. I did not know that. Good stuff. Just a way to put this team over. Um, we get backstage interviews from, we get, we get a video from Dan Lambert, um, who is complaining again about uh, Loki and mentions that if Loki CTC worse don't, gets worse, don't come crying to him and King Mo. Uh, we had a very interesting interview or video sent from Selena de la Renta from Mexico, who has found someone who hmm, does not feel pain, who has resurrected, who is a monster and who will fight to survive. Hmm, I wonder. Well, we know his name now. His name is Pascual Mendoza. And 
let's see how he does. Uh, interestingly enough, Pasquale is a derivative of the word for peace in Latin. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's rumors that it's going to be Mil Muertes. So uh, I wouldn't hate that at all, uh, especially since people are drawing similarities between this origin story and the origin story from Lucha Underground. So I don't think Lucha Underground will be suing for any copyrights to any storylines anytime soon. Um, we also got Loki versus Richard Holiday in the semifinal match for the Opera Cup, which uh, this match was pretty good. Um, it did everything that it had to do. I know Richard Holiday didn't lose anything losing this match to Loki. Uh, I don't know if Loki is on borrowed time in the world of professional wrestling and just wants to make hay while the sun shines. You're welcome for those two metaphors. It seems like Loki is probably gearing up for uh, the end of his career or the beginning of the end of his career, and he's going to advance, obviously, in the Opera Cup by putting together a pretty, pretty good match. You know, Richard Holiday is really good. Um, you know, he's limited kind of in what he does. He's one of those athlete guys. I guess that's probably there's probably a reason why he and MJF kind of gravitated toward each other when MJF was in MLW because they're very similar styles. They're athletic. They know how to talk. They got attitude. They're not overly athletic. You're not going to see a bunch of flips and kicks. They don't. They don't keep things going and flowing the way that most people you would think or most athletes are expected to do today. These guys are kind of like old school wrestling heels that are athletic enough to do what they need to do. The the, the high spots, all that stuff. That's not part of their game. It was a brutal match. Of course, Loki is going to stiff you. He's going to do the the, the brutal stuff. Um, a lot of strikes in the corner. Uh, a lot of extended counts because that's Loki's game. We know it by now. We've been seeing it for 20 years. Um, Holiday did attempt to put him in the stock market crash. Um, Loki fought out of that. He uh, tried to put uh, Loki uh, into his other finishing move. I don't remember what the uh, name for it was. Um, a couple of spine busters. So again, you know, Richard Holiday keeping it very basic in the ring against Loki. But in the end, um, Loki puts the Warriors' wrath. Double stomp from the top on Holiday and puts Holiday for away for the win. So right now, set up. Loki is in the finals. Loki grabbed and took a look at the IWC Caribbean belt for a minute, but then gave it right away. I'm sorry, Caribbean belt, and then gave it to Holiday. I don't know if that's symbolic. I think the announcers tried to make it somewhat symbolic of Loki getting a belt back again. Who knows? Uh, but we have the other half, and then the of course next week is going to be Lawler versus ACH, and I'm kind of looking forward to that match. So I'm going to tune in for that definitely. Uh, the main event of uh, the co-main event, I should say, of the evening for that was um, the Von Erics versus uh, Contra, or at least two members of Contra, Jacob Fatu and Simon Gotch. And uh, really happy that Simon Gotch has found a way to get out of the uh, vaudevillian gimmick. I mean, it only brought him so far. And uh, for him to be an international like operative, a strategist in a Contra, that really makes a lot of sense. That's really good. I like that. Um, and of course, Jacob Fatu is a beast. So what are you going to do there? Um a really hard-fought match. Uh, the, the Von Erichs, to their discredit, fly around a little too much. I think they're a little too loose, but then again, you know, that's the Von Erichs style, just kind of freewheeling it a bit. If we know anything from all the stories that Jim Cornette and other promoters say about the Von Erichs, they they, they, they were going to fight you. They weren't going to hurt you, but they weren't necessarily going to make it a sharp, snappy, technical match. Well, I think that gene's been passed on to, to Marshall, and um, 
Ross. And by the way, uh, that doesn't really mean that they suck. It doesn't mean I don't like them. It means that they add a little bit of personality and do what you like as a pro wrestling fan, which is to continue the traditions and continue the legacies. That's what wrestling fans enjoy about the sport because it's it, it moves forward and it, it, it brings everything from the past with it. So I dig the Von Erics. They could be a little better on the mic, but then again, um, they really fought. Like this, this thing started from jump. Like the bell didn't even ring yet, and Von Erichs came down. Now we all do know too that carrying over from before the restart, that the Von Erichs did in fact make it a point to go after Contra and uh, be Contra hunters, so to speak. So we know that this was going to be rough and tough from the beginning. But the Von Erichs being able to come in, fly in, and uh, and defend their belts against Contra in a very very good match. It was paced really well. Uh, we know, again, the Von Erichs are super baby faces, right? And and they just always fighting from behind. Um, uh, Marshall, a hellacious uh, axe bomber clothesline on Simon Gotch and took his head off. Um, but Simon Gotch got a fair amount of submissions in and a fair amount of moves in himself to slow the Von Erichs down. I don't understand why people don't stomp on Marshall's feet because he's a barefooted wrestler, but that's besides the point. Marshall ended up putting Gotch into a... Uh, Claw slam for whatever whatever term. Uh, claw slammed him through an extra ring board on the outside, and they were about to get the upper hand on Jacob Fatu. Then the entire tag team division of MLW spills out, and uh, Violence Forever with Jordan Oliver come out for some reason, and uh, this match got thrown out. It was a double disqualification. Interesting ending. Uh, made both teams look strong. It made both teams look like that they could keep continuing the feud. It didn't make anybody look weak, and it actually kind of put some put some importance, put some onus behind the other tag teams. So whatever MLW is doing to build up their tag division, keep doing it. It's working, uh, and that's just not the half of it either. They've uh, you know. Myron Reed and Jordan Oliver could definitely uh, start tagging again, even though Myron Reed's focusing more or less on the uh, middleweight belt. Um, who else they got? Well, uh, the Dios or uh, he, he, uh, Dios de los Parks uh, are still waiting in the wings, and they have beef with Contra. They can't wait to get back and get a Contra. A um, lot of tag teams that are uh, going to be uh, definitely being taken seriously uh, in uh, in MLW. So it looks like some good stuff. Good stuff out of MLW. Well, you have to take the bad with the good, and let's just go ahead and run through it. If we have to, yes, I did check out AEW Dynamite, and I kind of wish I didn't. Um, I know some different things were happening, like the inner circle was being threatened to break up. Uh, they were going to have the uh, sit down where or the, the 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 talk it out session where they were going to agree or, or disagree. And, and I mean, man, how, how the mighty have fallen! I I am going to. I know I keep saying this every week, but I am seriously going to reconsider. Uh, watching or paying attention to AEW much longer, especially since we have other things to watch. I have other stuff to watch like NWA and AEW or uh, and MLW and other places. So honestly, like at this point, I don't even know, like I'm going to give them to the end of the year. And if they can't turn it around by the new year's bash or whatever, or a new year smash, whatever they're calling it. Um, I think I might take a break from AEW for a while. Uh, so the first match was, a continuation of last week when uh, Team uh, Hybrid 2 attacked the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks challenged them for a fight. Well, they TH2 went after the Young Bucks immediately, even before the bell rang. Uh, the Young Bucks are mad. They want to establish themselves or continue to establish themselves as the best tag team in the world. I just quickly lost interest in this match. Um, just 
man, I liked the Young Bucks a lot. I liked what they were doing, but, you know, it's just become spot fest now, especially with Angelico and Jack Evans. And you know what? Jack Evans is starting to show his age a little bit. I hate to say that because I'm starting to show my age, but, you know, Jack Evans isn't as crisp with those backflips. And yes, he is a little heavier, um, but Jack Evans definitely isn't the same as he was. Uh, and another thing that annoys me is, is that because all the other wrestlers are out there watching, there's too much interactions with the wrestlers who are watching outside. Don't put them out there. Uh, if you're going to put them out there, you know, put them in the second row or whatever, put some fans in the front row. I don't know. Well, anyway, um, there was a spot where, um, I believe Angelico got thrown into, um, uh, the acclaimed. So the acclaimed jumped the guardrail and went after the bucks, but SCU cut him off. So there you go. There's not much more to say that. Um, Next was an interview with Cody Rhodes. It just he was about to say something. Um, uh, Sting's music hit. And then Arn had a, not an awkward, actually a respectful exchange with Sting, even though he put Sting on notice and told him that he's watching him. Uh, but he respected Sting enough to let him say his piece. It was okay. You know, even Sting mentioned that he wanted uh, Tony Schiavone to say, it's Sting, which he did. And, um, Sting came out, meandered a little bit in, in, in Sting fashion, but he came back with, um, I'm not here for you, at least right now. I'm here for something else. And he kind of nodded to Darby Allen, who was again watching in the stands, talking about this place is really familiar for some reason. Uh, and then he said, Cody, I know you're in charge around here. The direct quote is, Cody, I know every single thing that goes on in this place, but the only thing that's for sure is Sting is that nothing's for sure except for this. I'm signed with AEW, and I plan on being close to the AEW fans and in this promotion for a long time. I plan on spending a lot of time right here, but the way I choose to play it is my business. See you around, kid, and walked out. Okay, all right. So whatever Sting's involvement is, Sting's going to be Sting, okay? He's not going to be tied down to one man or another or one uh, one faction or another. He's not going to be beholden to Cody, and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And he's not going to just basically be there to rescue Cody every time. We get it. We get it. Moving on. Um, next was FTR versus the Varsity Blondes, Brian Pillman and Griff Garrison, uh, kind of a mixture of, you know, Brian Pillman Jr.'s Hollywood, Hollywood Blondes and Griff Garrison's uh, Varsity, whatever he's doing. I don't know. Um Lost interest. Uh, Brian Pillman looked really good. Griff Garrison looked okay. Uh, if they could make it work, uh, it, it might work. But I feel like right now, both Pillman and Garrison are being kind of left in the background. They're kind of white noise in the uh, tag division right now of, uh, of of AEW. And, of course, FTR trying to make the best of this. When every every division in – or when every tag team in uh, – AEW are a bunch of flippy news and they're the only ones that stand out. Uh, the downside to that is you have to struggle to try to match your style. And, you know, it uh, wasn't that great of a match. So whatever. But at the end of the match, there was a confrontation with FTR and Jurassic Express. And I believe there was a little bit of a pie face even. So FTR have gone from hottest tag team free agents in professional wrestling to winning the AEW championship belts to losing them to Kenny Omega and Paige to fighting Jurassic Express. So good for them. I'm glad that they made the best choices in uh, their wrestling career. Um, Hangman Adam Page is stalked by two of the Dark Order, uh, Johnny Hungy and Alex Reynolds, and said that they will love to have him partner up with them. But he said it's a one-off uh, against Private Party and Matt Hardy. I don't even know why they're fighting Matt Hardy. Why is Adam Page fighting Matt Hardy? And why is he fighting Private Party? I don't know. No one knows. It's just random. 
Dustin Rhodes fights Dark Order at number 10. Dark Order is a pretty solid-looking guy. No big shakes, just kind of random big man with a mask on. After that, player Uno, sorry, Dark uh, Evil Uno, asks Dustin to officially be number seven because all we're doing is nudge-nudging and wink-winking back with our own inside jokes trying to crack each other up. And yes, by the way, that was a reference to Dustin coming in as seven after uh, his stint as gold dust in, uh, in uh, WCW when he basically cut that promo and said, uh, screw this place and screw Vince Russo. Um, and uh, Dustin first, you know, played it off like he was going to join, but then uh, decided not to. Evil Uno left the invitation open. I'm not even going to address the mess that was Shaq and how, which is terrible. Um, Brandy Rhodes is getting better, like, but they had to somehow, they, 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 they shoehorned an apology in with, oh, no, he didn't. Uh, just dumb and awkward. Moving on. Uh, the Inner Circle ultimatum. Uh, kind of, again, furthering the eventual breakup and uh, beatdown of Sammy, which is sad and frustrating because I don't think the Inner Circle has been around for a whole year, and now they're getting rid of one of their core members. Um, just... No long-term booking, no foresight whatsoever. You think Chris Jericho would be smarter than this uh, to make Inner Circle last for a while, but um, I don't even want to say nothing gold can stay. I just think that no one does anything. No one knows what, what they're doing, and uh, there's no staying power in the Inner Circle, uh, at least the iteration now. I mean, these guys should be a heel stable that should be going around for at least another year or two before any one of them breaks up. I mean, think about it. Like, in the old school, if, if AEW is so old school and appreciates the old school mentality, why is it that they don't let these factions stick around for longer than a year. Why are we just getting used to the inner circle and now all of a sudden they're rumoring to break up uh, and, and adding people? And, and and I don't know why MJF is getting dragged into this morass, but this is where we are now. And uh, um, uh, they were all telling Sammy Guevara to be the better man <laughs> in front of MJF, by the way, telling Sammy to be the better man and shake uh, MJF's hand. Uh, and then, of course, they did... Uh, the Jake Hagler or Wardlow uh, stare down. And there are rumors that they're going to turn Wardlow into a face. Uh, and I think they're still sowing the seeds. They're doing a little bit of the comedy hokey stuff with, why is he staring at me? I won't stare at you. I'll, I'll stop staring at you. Stop staring at me. Uh, you know, and even Wardlow said, you've been staring at me since I started this company. Yeah, just, um, again, for some reason, Eddie Kingston decided to join the Butcher and the Blade instead of keeping the family together. And the Lucha Brothers somehow broke off, but they joined Lance Archer. This whole thing was too confusing for me. Hey, guys, remember when uh, Pent El Pentagon Jr. was the hottest, most in-demand professional wrestler on the independent scene? Remember how we were excited about how cool El Pentagon Jr. was? And how he was going to be the basically the luchador Mexican undertaker and how creepy and how badass he was. Yeah, those were good times. And those times were before COVID, believe it or not. Those times were we, – we, we could remember the good times. We remember the before times when El Pentagon was actually a big deal and that people cared about him and people wanted him. There was rumors that Pentagon Jr. was going to be in NXT. And now he's getting slammed into tables. 
So good for him. I'm glad that he's made the proper lifestyle and a career choice for him and his family. Um, Cluster Smash in the back with the worst division in professional wrestling, the AEW women's division. Um, getting a little better with Abaddon. Not much better, but a little better with Abaddon. She squashes Tasha Price. Um, it's funny how all the women that they're giving looks to are better than the actual women that are signed to AEW. Saw Lindsay Snow. She did some dark matches, and she was in the crowd, and she's freaking amazing. Uh, a lot of the female wrestlers that they're hiring to do uh, to, to put over uh, the already established talent are way better than uh, the wrestlers uh, that they currently have signed. Um, Kenny Omega is proving that he's a big mean heel now because he came in a helicopter with Don Callis. You can't convince me that Kenny Omega is a heel because you've been trying to convince me that he's a legit babyface. And not only that, but um, honestly, you can't just switch on and off the fact that you were the EVP. I get it. Don Callis tried his hardest to put Kenny Omega over as this was the plan all along. We used and abused you suckers. Uh, when we first started this, we were doing the one thing, which was to get Kenny Omega national recognition, international recognition as a champion in, in with a belt. And, and ta-da, here we are. And uh, I guess there is some credence to that i don't know um it's a good story angle anyway but it just wasn't i mean it's it's almost like andy kaufman-esque and haha we're bad guys now so we'll see and uh kenny omega talked about how he put over the greatest wrestling performance i think this is what uh, jim Cornette was talking about how he was saying the wrestling performance and i think omega was actually leaning into that a little bit i think he was kind of backhandedly slapping at Cornette and all his critics about uh, him being a performer and an artist and not an actual wrestler. I think he was leaning into that a little bit, kind of with coded language. I don't know if that's me reading into it, but I think that's what happened. And I think that's funny that he's doing that for uh, lots of obvious reasons. Um, I think that that's try him trying to get heel heat by basically agreeing with Cornette, but I think this also goes back to my conspiracy theory of there are forces out there that are getting Kenny Omega to become the greatest professional wrestler of all time and bring wrestling into the modern era by being a belt collector, by having all of these belts. And it's getting under the skin of all the quote unquote old school wrestlers, old school wrestling fans. I think that's all that promo did and uh, just to rile up people further and basically a big middle finger to old school wrestling fans about how Kenny Omega is going to take wrestling into the future and not all these tired old ways. Um, the only good match of the night was MJF and Orange Cassidy, surprisingly. Uh, although there was a lot of BS that went on outside the ring. Uh, the only part of this match that I did not like uh, was the was the finish. If you're going to have an Eddie Guerrero spot, if you're going to have the um, the 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 fake, he hit me with the bat. I thought that part was clever and it should have ended right there. I thought that when uh, he handed uh, MJF like faked that Orange Cassidy hit him with the bat, but the ref wasn't paying attention. So he gets back up and Orange Cassidy pulls the same thing, like the double Eddie Guerrero switch move. I think that's really brilliant. I thought that was great. I thought the, the ref should turn around and boom, hey, blah, blah. But they said the match has to continue because the ref can't call what he doesn't see. Since when has that ever stopped anybody in a professional wrestling match? Um, certainly not in WWE. So MJF... And Orange Cassidy continued the match. Orange Cassidy was selling a little bit of his hand because uh, he uh, MJF worked over uh, Orange Cassidy's hand. And yeah, he did uh, try to hit him with the orange punch. Um, but then it just became a cluster mess. Um, there was interference all over the place. Uh, Kip Sabian and Miro came in and uh, distracted Orange Cassidy. Um, 
So uh, uh, Orange Cassidy uh, lost to MJF, and uh, MJF got the victory with the pin. So um, after that, Miro comes down, cleans house, wearing a Versace sweater. Um, nobody looked like they knew what they were doing. The production staff, quote-unquote production staff, uh, who Miro was supposed to beat up, clearly had no idea what they were supposed to do. Uh, if they were supposed to like go over to Miro and like try to grab him or whatever, because Miro had to walk over and punch a couple of guys. Um, so uh, that was the best match of the night. Yeah, I wasn't saying a whole lot, but again, when you have two of the best wrestlers of the company going after each other, uh, usually uh, that works to everybody's advantage. So um, if Orange Cassidy and MJF can hold on for however long they need to hold on to before they're either out of AEW or AEW gets bought by WWE, uh, they should go with it. Other than that, I'm really going to have to uh, evaluate whether or not I want to continue watching AEW. It's just not really doing anything for me. And I really tried to give it the benefit of the doubt. I gave them plenty of shots, but AEW right now is kind of in the same league as uh, Impact for me. Uh, the more shots I keep giving AEW, the, uh, the the more times it fails me. So um, I don't know. I'm going to... Uh, just leave it at that and take it from there. I hate to leave the podcast on a downer. I definitely want to, uh, you know, uh, leave it on an upbeat note. So um, I'll tell you again uh, to follow us at HG Wrestling, uh, HG Wrestling 316, HG Wrestling 316. If you want to follow Heel Turn Wrestling specifically, you can come at me at uh, the Heel and Face podcast on Twitter. And of course, you can uh, like and subscribe and share. And please comment below. Even if uh, the show is over, even if the show, uh, even if I don't respond in the middle of the show right away, please uh, comment, do what you got to do and uh, talk to me because uh, I really love the interactive aspect of the show. Um, that's it for this week on the Healer Face Podcast. Thanks for joining me to discuss and talk about the world of professional wrestling. I'll be here for it. Uh, whatever's going on, definitely hit you with uh, the next night of the Opera Cup. Uh, with uh, ACH versus Filthy Tom Lawler. Uh, might watch some WWE. I know that TLC is going to come up next week. Speaking of what's coming up, I know the end of the year is coming up very soon, and uh, I've got some good ideas, hopefully some fun things that will be happening. Uh, got uh, the end of the year Heel and Face Awards that should be coming up very soon. I've got a special guest coming up for that, so stay tuned with that. Um, uh, the founder of the Heel and Face podcast at the Ohio Media School, the mayor of the Squared Circle, James Hand, hopefully will be joining me uh, to talk about uh, the year of professional wrestling. And I'll be putting, hopefully, together a best of uh, as well for this year. So uh, we can just have fun reliving some of the things that happened, like the interviews that I did or the major topics of the year that we could go back into discussing. So um, it should be some fun uh, coming up at the end of the year here. So please stay tuned. Please like, share, subscribe. Please come back next week to... Uh, Talk professional wrestling with me, Steve Castellanovo, your boy. Uh, and uh, as always, have fun watching wrestling this week. Uh, be good to everybody. Be kind to everybody. Uh, we're all in this uh, pandemic together, so do what you can as far as uh, the health of yourself and your family. Watch a lot of wrestling. And as always, peace.